You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I thought I'd, I'd I'd leave you alone for a bit, just seeing if you were uh, just probably trying to survive you. Yeah, it's not been too bad, if I'm honest. Touch woods, like it's good. She's a she's great. She sleeps a lot, and the wife is doing amazingly. So you know we've been we've been really really lucky so far. I am considerably more tired. I look back to the days now, even just one week into fatherhood, I look back at the days where I moaned about doing a podcast with you late on a Sunday night. <laughs> about saying, oh god, I'm so tired by the time I've done them, and this is without doubt the the easiest part of the week for me so far. Even spending an hour trying to try out different bits of audio software and getting you to sign up to Skype. Yeah, I know that's, that is massively painful. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Changing, changing nappies and sleepless nights is nothing compared to trying to get you to, to download an app straight out of the, straight out of the Apple, uh, the Apple store, which really, I love the way you were spelling it to Skype. me as well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, I do know Skype, but it just sums it up, doesn't it? That you had to spell it out to me. Spelling Skype out to you over the phone. Oh, yeah, fantastic. This, this is it. You are just yeah. You're just uh, I don't know. You are like Uncle Bryn from Gavin and Stacey, trapped inside a bloke in his mid thirties body. Yeah, I know. Well, there we go. Have you managed to watch much rugby this week, Dan? <clears throat> Not a huge amount, actually. It's been a um, yeah, been been. <laughs> I've had a uh, a lot on with a with a with the little ones, so. Not as much as I'd like, to be honest, but maybe it was a good week to oh, uh, to not see as much as I usually do. So you'll have to you'll have to fill me in, mate. It's tricky. Well, I will do, and it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because you come back after the World Cup, and the emotions are so high after that, and obviously the quality of rugby is so good, even when you're watching you know, perhaps like a Samoa versus Ireland or something. The the standard of, of test rugby is is so high. And then you've got the Pro 14 with a lot of players still being rested after the World Cup, injury-ravaged sides. And there's the European campaign getting underway very soon. So, you know, it's just that drop-off in intensity, isn't there? So it's a, it's a slightly strange thing, but at the same time, I don't know. It was quite nice to watch some rugby without necessarily feeling all that tension that you feel when you watch Wales during the World Cup. You enjoyed it then, did you? I did. Yeah, I put out a tweet on Friday night saying that I was watching the Dragons game with my daughter asleep on my chest and 
I think that's one way of guaranteeing that she's gonna that she's gonna sleep is is sticking the dragons on telly. Uh, and luckily, no one reported me to social services for child cruelty for inflicting that upon her as well. So, yeah, it was uh, it was quite nice to watch. Yeah, to watch a bit of rugby without the kind of perhaps that level of intensity. But maybe that's you know maybe that's the problem with the league. You know, it's you don't have those yeah. barnstorming great fixtures every week, do you? No, you don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I found it. I found it particularly tough just to get back, get back into uh, into the swing of things. I thought usually, usually I bounce back in, but um, no, I sort of, I sort of haven't got back into it just yet. But uh, it'll come. It will come, and luckily we have a loyal set of listeners who have once again done all the work for us and have asked us a load of questions, which is good. So that you know that means that that we're able to to get stuck into that without having to have uh, done too much planning. I should have thought of this years ago. Yeah, I know. You're pretty good at delegating, aren't you? And you've got me running around all over the shop doing the artwork, the audio, downloading this, downloading that. So you uh, yeah. you missed a trick there for the last three yeah, years. Yeah, I, I did miss a trick. Like, what is it? I reckon one episode in the three, three and a bit years we've been doing this, you wrote the questions. I did, yeah. Good episode, though. Oh, well, it was a belter. My favourite, certainly. <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, it's good. It's it's nice. It's nice getting the questions in from the listeners. <laughs> the good thing is then that we know that um, what we're what we're answering is actually uh, is actually wanted us. Well, exactly. Yeah, it's better at and least by someone. Everyone, yeah, well, exactly. And we're welcome. We'll welcome these every every single week. So if you think of a question, even if it's something that hasn't come up. Yeah, even if you, you haven't mentioned it on the day, just send us it in as you think of it. Send us in a tweet at Attacking Scrum. You can do it on Facebook as well if you like, Instagram, however you have you do it. Twitter's probably the easiest way for us because that's I think probably the one with the most with the most active on. So yeah, just send us your questions in to at Attacking Scrum and we'll get stuck into them. Just before we do that, obviously a quick thanks to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. And uh, yeah, I am in desperate need of of coffee right now to keep me awake during the days. So yeah, if if you find yourself in a similar predicament or you just like the great taste of coffee, then make sure you get your hands on some so coffee at socoffeetrades.co.uk. And unfortunately for our good pal Scott Otten down at the Ospreys, it was a stinking weekend for them. And as you can imagine, there have been quite a few there have been quite a few questions slash comments that have come in with regards to this. Uh, Liam Thomas, obviously regular, regular contributor to the show says is a rather cruelly and spoken like the true Turk that he is says is a point against the Kings, a sign of improvement for the Ospreys. Simon Wilding says, how in God's name did the Ospreys lose to the Southern Kings? And Nathan says, is it true? Alan Clark only has a BTEC diploma in rugby from the college of Rob Howley, all of which is pretty scathing stuff, Dan. How bad a result is it? It's, it's about as bad as it gets, isn't it, really? Um, I would say. you That's a game you can't afford to lose. But the Ospreys are in a... It's difficult times for them, isn't it, at the moment? They've got, you know... When, you, when you're playing... Or when you have played Dan Lydiot in the second row, mm. you know that you're in a bad way. And, yeah, the Welsh boys can't come back quick enough, can they? No, they can't. And they're... I mean, if you look at that... I, again, I'm not wishing to to make excuses here because I think you have to have a squad that is capable of beating the Southern Kings. You know, if this had been against Leinster, I know they lost to Connacht the week before. If you are at home to a side like Southern Kings, you have to have a squad that's capable of doing that. I know they've been decimated with injuries. Like you said, you've had things like Lydia playing in the second row. You've had emergency loan signings coming in. You've got James Hook playing inside centre at whatever age he is now, 35, 36. So they are decimated with it. But for a side like the Ospreys to be losing at home to the Kings, who really are you know, spirited, but they're yeah, not well resourced themselves, are they? No, you can't lose. That that That's a must-win game. You know, it's a home as well. Mm. It's, it's It has to be a W, doesn't it? It wasn't. It's a hugely disappointing night for for the Ospreys a worrying one and yeah it's not a great sign is it to think that what 
you know, the, what's needed is the Welsh boys coming back in, and it's a it's a it's a big um, big ask on them, isn't it? It's not a, it's not great for them really, knowing that they've got to get back probably quicker than they would have wanted to 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 assist the side. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, but again, it's a it's a massive ask, and it's such a crowded schedule that we've got. Now you go straight into Heineken Cup period. We've got the the game against the Barbarians. You've got more Heineken Cup after or just before Christmas. It's it's really really ticky, tick, tricky thing to juggle. And then in amongst all of that, you know, you've got to think what what the World Cup must have taken out like a player to a player like Alan Wynne Jones. The effort that that he puts in, and you know, you got someone like Beard who just came straight back from whatever it was, with appendix removed, and then you know, chucked into a couple of games, and a load more players in that in that side. It's a, it's a huge order for them, really, to to be able to to jump straight back in and and pull out the results. So it's worrying. It is. You've got you've got the, I think the the mental the additional mental pressure as well that a loss like this will have on a character like Alan Wynne-Jones that I can't imagine that he's not, you know, keeping an eye on what's going on at the Ospreys. He's, he's going to be, he's going to be looking at it, isn't he? Of course he is. And that's going to be playing on his mind and the other, the other players as well, you know, it's in, it's in, you know, the shape and the way in which the side is positioned at the moment is in absolute stark contrast, isn't it? To the, to the to the their West Wales neighbours down the road, Liam's side of the Scarlets. So yeah, it's um, you know those questions that have come in are, are obviously probably from you know from the Scarlets fans, but it's not a good it's not a good it's not what we want, is it, for Welsh rugby at all? No, it's not. And kind of just coupling with this, Ian Alexander's tweeted in and said, "Who or what can change the sour mood at the Ospreys?" Well, I think got it an, is. Got is an answer to that? Well, I mean, the only thing I can really think is that you, they've got to get they've got to get the Welsh boys back in there as quickly as possible. You think who who springs to mind? Alan Wynne Jones. Yeah. He's he's a, he's a leader. He's inspirational. He's all the things that we know he is, and they need him back in there. But at the same time, you think what does Alan Wynne what does Alan Wynne Jones need? Is prob is a break. Mm. So he doesn't. God, does he need this? He doesn't, does he? And I think it would just be lovely for him if. You know, the Ospreys could have had a, you know, could have had a win there and bought himself a bit more time before he comes he comes back in to 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 hopefully steady the ship. But how many times have we said this, Dan? You know, we've said this over the last few years, going back two seasons. We said the Ospreys look like a different side when Alwyn Jones and Dan Bigger play, and then last season we spent a lot of it saying the Ospreys look like a different side when Alwyn Jones and Justin Tipperick play, but you're never going to be able to keep those players away from the international setup. They're always going to feature and there's always going to be injuries alongside that plus other players in the international setup. You know, really during that time yeah. of two, two or three years, we've not seen them be able to bolster that squad either with new recruits or academy players coming through that have made it stronger when those players aren't around. Yeah. And it's going to be with Anscombe, getting injured and, and Sam Davis going over to the, the Dragons, who's had a great start, hasn't he, to the season. Mm-hmm. They are, they're extremely weak at 10. And that's a, that's a position where you can't afford to be, you can't afford to be weak at, can you, on a, you know, on a wet pitch down, uh, down West. So yeah, they're, they're in a, they've been, they've been in a, I suppose in a delicate situation of the position for for a while, but this does seem to be. Um, uh, I don't know. It's 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 as bad as it gets, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's it's difficult to see really how what could be what could be much worse than this. I think I think the fact that it's at home, and again, you think back to to not even just the Galactico era of the Ospreys where they never lost at home, even under under Tandy. And, you know, how he moved that side on after a lot of the money went. Really, they were very, very hard to beat at home then. So to, to lose to a side like the Kings at home, you're right. It's hard to see how it gets how it gets much worse. The other thing I'd say, right, is I know it's difficult. And, we're, and all of this is underlined by, 
the resources that, that the Welsh regions have versus some of the other sides. And I think that's what makes this so sour is the fact that the Kings aren't one of those. It's not Leinster. It's not Ulster. It's not a game in Europe against uh, Harlequins or <clears throat> Saracens. We'll talk about that later. But <laughs> it is against the Southern Kings. And I think that's what's so embarrassing about it. And, you know, there, I, I, I'm sure there'll be there'll be a lot of people with a lot of bruised egos and a, a lot of kind of soul searching to be done down at the Ospreys because they will, they, you just, you can't see this as an acceptable result. What I think is really frustrating though, is, you know, we've praised the Scarlets down the road over the years for how shrewd they've been in their recruitment. And if you were to look at the Ospreys and say, could they have perhaps recruited better than than they have done and had some you know some real kind of quality running throughout that which again to be fair to the Ospreys is something they did for a very long time not just the big name players not just the Lee Burns and the Mike Phillipses but those players like Philo Tiatia and seasoned pros who kind of came in into that setup I'm sure there are some other examples kind of later on down the line that I can't think of even play you know even players like Hassler Hassler and Tyler Ardron were really good signings because they came in, came into the side, they would have the odd international game away with Canada, but they would put in massive performances week in, week out and became such reliable figures. It feels like this Osprey side is lacking in some of those in some of those kind of players at the moment. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, Tyler Ardron's an interesting one, isn't he? He was, um, yeah, he was quite sort of uh, a guy that was you know, went under the radar, didn't he? But got through a mountain of work and. Um, We've seen him put in some really good performances, and we now in, in you know where he, where he is now outside of Wales. I, I think yeah, that's exactly it. They need they need a number of players that know their way around the pitch. have got a fair bit of experience, and you're just going to play week in week out. And the, the Ospreys are a totally different side without the international the international guys playing, and their recruitment uh, over the last twelve you know twelve months or six months is, is they've been picking up more players that are you know extremely likely then to be involved in the Welsh setup again so it's it's a little peculiar isn't it they they need those they need those seasoned players that are going to play week in week out you know a, a load more sort of Dan Evans is but again yeah. that they they do command money don't they and they do, but I think, you know, it's very easy for us to say sat here, but I think when you see the recruitment done well, you have players come in, and Ian Scarlett is probably the best example of it. You'll pick up a player who you know will be able to do a job for you at regional level. Ideally, they're not called up to international rugby, and if you get two or three seasons out of them, then they command a bit more money. You know you've got them, though. You know, you're, you're constantly out there scouring for for players who are going to be able to, to make that step up for you. And, you know, and the thing is, that again, to, to keep going, kind of going back to the Scarlets, they've done it with players like Asquith and and Kennedy. And obviously, Tyke Byrne was a big example of that beforehand. I think that's the kind of recruitment policy that you have to have if you're a, if you're a, a side in Wales, just to, just to keep you competitive and... Um, and you know, ideally achieve a bit more than that. It's very, very difficult. But if you get, yeah, if you're yeah. going to get beat by the Kings, you know that 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 is really is a worrying sign. As it, you know, as obviously you know, Dragons were, were beaten by the Kings the season before last. They failed to beat them last season. It's you know, I'm not I'm not just having a pop of the Ospreys, but it's definitely a, a really worrying thing for all signs if you're if you're getting done by the Kings. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think there are some. You have to be extremely switched on don't you in in terms of your recruitment policy when you're looking at a side that has you know not a great deal of money and the money that you do have you have to make sure that the signings you you, the money being spent is on the right people and Mm. when you look at the scarlets they have brought in over over the years they brought in a number of backs then and forwards as well that can play in more than one position, which I think is yeah. really clever and something that we don't often talk about. But yeah, Asquith, you mentioned there, can play in a number of positions and and very well, can't he? McNichol, a number of positions and and very well. Ty Byrne, obviously, you know, we spoke about second row, back row, and it gives them the, gives them the options because you know that you're going to get injuries 
and the squads are so threadbare that if you can just have those players that can play in different positions, you know, Ardron as well was another one, wasn't he? Second row, back mm. row. Yeah. Um, so that was a good, that was a very good signing, hence the reason why you're mentioning it. But I think a number of the signings of late have been probably not that well thought out, maybe. Mm. And again, it's very, very difficult because you don't know how, you know, like we said, we're kind of just speculating on those players and how much they're paid. But you look back even kind of five or six seasons and you had players like Foto Ali there who, you know, did a, a very good job. Obviously, someone like Tommy Bowe would have been on a lot of money. But, you know, like Matavesi, again, a player like that, Matavesi and obviously Underhill was there for a little while. And that's the that's the thing that I think is is missing is just kind of those those quality additions to the side because we know, we know there's some talented youngsters there and there are yeah, yeah. there are talented there, there are lots of talented youngsters in Wales aren't they we're seeing more and more of it at the moment with you know the likes of Bristol and uh, you know the English sides is picking up a number of our of our players and <laughs> slotting them into a system and I guess a you know culture that's always talked about isn't it but it must be true and they're really playing some 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 decent rugby so it's hard to believe that we haven't got a number of players that are in the academies that could do a job as opposed to playing, you know, playing players out, out of position. And I don't know. It's, it's, it's a, it's a funny one, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is a strange one. I think you're right. It exacerbates things when you look across the bridge and you see players at Bristol who've come through the, the Welsh ranks performing admirably but you know I don't know then again is it it easier to perform well in a in a side like Bristol that is you know as much as they're kind of inverted commas underdogs in the English premiership they're very very well financed and if that's the case it means you have a side full of quality and you know I, I suppose it's much easier to look better in a in a side like that than it is if you're in a in a side that's that's struggling yeah that's right you can do what you do well, can't you? And everyone else is doing what they do well, and it all and it and it tends to click as opposed to sort of overplaying and overforcing things. So, yeah, money again. It is money again. Let us let's stick with that one a bit. This is an interesting one that's come through from uh, from Matt Armstrong. I've seen conspiracy theories slash talk that certain regions are trying to deliberately bomb in order to pave the way for the WRU to take over. Thoughts on that gossip? Blimey, mate, that is like. That's a huge one, isn't it? You're standing at outside half and some clumsy second row like me has just chucked one up above your head as Nick Williams is steaming in right at your ribs. I've dropped the ball. (laughs) (laughs) Or curled up in a ball. I'm going to fire that straight back to you. Oh, you can't. Oh, that is, mate. Come on, you've had loads of sleep over the last week and um, you're fresh as a daisy. Um, All right. Again, I would say I'd be very surprised if that is the case, given the fight that the infighting that there was last season. You know, you cast your mind back to February, March, whenever it was, the talks of the inverted commas merger or takeover between the Scarlets and the Ospreys. I'd be very surprised if anyone is prepared to uh, to kind of to be putting out substandard performances. And how do you, you know, how do you get that through to players? How do you turn around to a to a player in the dressing room and go, look, take this one easy out there today? I just can't see any professional athlete really or a team of professional athletes being prepared to do that unless you're just picking very, very weak selected sides. I, I, I can't. I, I can't see it happening. I mean, obviously, the, Matt hasn't said this. The implication would be that it's the Ospreys, really, you'd think, given that the Dragons are saying that they want to be independently owned again. Cardiff won this weekend and and Scarlet's also won. So that would be the implication. But I can't I can't see that being the case given, you know, that they've gone out and made that massive marquee signing of Anscombe and and kind of fought so hard for their existence. I, I would be my gut would say pour cold water on that one. What I would say alongside this is as we've just said there. There is no way that things can carry on in this vein. So whether or not it is a central takeover or it's it's a fresh injection of funding from the mystery individuals, I don't know. But, you know, the, the regions are looking particularly weak at the moment. 
we'll talk about them individually as we kind of go through the show but generally as a collective as we head into european time you i can't think of a season where i've gone into the european competitions with less anticipation of what the welsh regions are going to do yeah i'm with you i i don't think i don't think um what what matt's mentioned would be you know would be happening but i guess you know can we see a a central a central takeover is it needed? You know, are the regions, can the regions carry on in the way in which they are? That Those are, you know, those are points, aren't they, within themselves that it's, it doesn't, it's not looking good at the moment. I don't think they can continue without investment, whether that's from the WRU, whether that's from a WRU takeover or it's from independent investment. I would say that that has to happen, just judging by the, the state of results. What I would say is that what's not going to happen is we're not going to get in a position where money is being thrown at these sides. It's just you'd have to be a wildly optimistic businessman or perhaps naive to to say that throwing money at these sides is going to is going to show any return for you. A wildly optimistic. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I, I just think you can, I do. Yeah. With, yeah. A, with a bit of investment and with some wise recruitment. I think that these these sides, all of them, can be a lot more competitive in the in the big things. Now, the other thing that we haven't mentioned, which is where investment could be coming from, and it's gone a bit quiet of late, is a investment from CVC, venture capitalists, potential British and Irish league, these kind of things. I mean, you remember when that British and Irish league story broke? All of the talk on social media was about this, you know, the, the Welsh sides need this, the Irish don't, the English don't. Well, if I'm honest, I think we're in a position, we know the Welsh sides need it because they need investment from somewhere. The Irish sides, I think, would relish the fact that they, they wouldn't need to be as dependent on the um, on the Irish rugby union and the Irish rugby union would probably enjoy that. I think that the English sides, as much as they have a very good product in the English premiership, we know that it simply it simply doesn't make the money for the sides to be to to kind of wash their face. So while I'm wary of taking the taking the money from CVC and a potential to look at something like a British and Irish league, really that's the only thing I can see as a, a legitimate way out. Yeah, it's sad really, isn't it? That we feel that that's the that's potentially the only way the only way forward and. Yeah, I can't really see uh, uh, anything other than. But yeah, it looks as if that's going to be that's going to be what's needed, isn't it? To... Can you see it happening? Yeah, I can actually. Can you? Yeah, I, I can more than more than I think perhaps most can could see it happening. Again, I might be wrong, but my gut says that we've seen if you take the english premiership cvc have put the money into that they've taken a share all the clubs have benefited from a windfall in terms of injection of money we've heard very little out of cvc about what they expect in return but these guys are venture capitalists they're not in it for fun they are in no way a charitable organization they are going to be expecting to see serious return on it and it's it's one of two things. I think it's a, a potential play for getting their hands on international rugby, as we've seen with their their sniffing around the Six Nations. But I think they also might look at club rugby and see that there is opportunity to to create something there. And really, it's I, I, I could see it happening if they want to turn the English Premiership into something bigger and generate more money. If, if creating a British and Irish league could command the big kind of TV deal, I could see that happening. And as much as as you know, I'm a big fan of having club rugby on domestic television and generally top quality sport. I think that you know, with rugby, it kind of it hasn't been in in England. So I could see them putting it behind a putting it behind a paywall and and just trying to maximise their money in that regard and create a top quality product with with quality players from all around the world and, you know, quality teams playing each other week in, week out, which let's be honest, we just do not have in the pro 14. And while I think they do have that in the premiership, it's not big enough to sustain making all of the clubs. What's the word? Financially dependent year in, year out. 
God, it's getting depressing, isn't it? Well, it is, but I, I don't know. I've, if the terms were right, I would. Lo- I'd love to see it. I, I'd be. I'd be so excited if you could see. You know, we, we've often said that Welsh rugby missed the boat when they missed the opportunity to get sides in the English, in the English top flight, and whenever that was, nineteen ninety eight, ninety nine, and really, if there was an opportunity to to buddy up and create this this. British and Irish league that it would just be so much more appealing I, I think the optimism have, you'd have less you'd have less uh, dead rubbers every week you'd have less of the games where it's a second string Leinster humping a uh, you know a, a first string zebra side or first string southern king side I just think the quality of rugby would be that much higher because the investors would have to put the money in and the squads would get strengthened so I don't know. I, I would be much more excited about watching that than I would about watching the Pro 14 every week. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we spoke about that before, didn't we? You said it is, it is, it is exciting, isn't it? I mean, I think it would be very, very sad for the, for the, for all the games to be behind, behind, uh, you know, paywall. But that's kind of where we are. I know you can pick up the odd game on free sports, but really that doesn't give, there's not enough clout behind that channel to really make much of a difference. I don't think obviously S4C do a very good job and and I would, I would expect there to be an opportunity for S4C to still have some kind of coverage, even if, you know, uh, Sky had all of the, you know, exclusive English language commentary, I'd still expect S4C to be able to pick something up as they, as they've tended to do for, for most things, which, which would make things, a lot more palatable and it would be sad but at the same time I just don't I just don't see a way out at the moment because this way we see it feels like we're on a you know a slow death by a thousand cuts yeah. or demise yeah. we just go okay do you know what there's only there's only enough funding for two regions and that might last eight years and then you go do you know what there's only enough for one and and that would be a really sorry thing to to happen so rugby has to be innovative and I think something like this and again it would be very cruel on the Italian sides and on the and on the South African sides that have joined, but I think you have to look at alternate options for them. And to be honest, it would probably kill off European rugby. Would you make the change now if you could, if you were in charge? Well, again, without seeing the numbers, from a from a fan's perspective, if someone said, right, starting starting in January or starting next season, it's going to be a British and Irish league. I, you know, I, I'd be so keen to see that happen. Yeah, I think a lot of people would, wouldn't they? I think so. And yeah, let us know what you think about that one. If you think the British and Irish League is a good idea, if you think it's going to happen, or if you've got any other ideas as to how the regions can actually become stronger and and, and more competitive over the years, that would be some ideas we would love to hear. So let us know your thoughts at Attacking Scrum on Twitter. And as you say, you can do the same on Facebook, on Instagram, if uh, you're that way inclined. And uh, we've got loads more to get through. And we're going to do that after this very, very short break. I'm Sam Warburton, and you're listening to the Attacking Scrum. I feel like that first half was a bit downbeat, Dan. It was. I think that's your fault, not me. I, I think it was actually. You're right. Yeah. I. Uh, I need to get back up there, don't I? Yeah. People are used to hearing me kind of moan and gripe about things, but you're, you you usually add a little ray of optimism in there. So. I see your baby's come along, and it's really picked you up. You're uh, flying high right now, and I'm yeah, I'm sort of skating on the floor at the moment. Yeah, trying to drag me, trying to drag me back down to earth. Hey, All right, tell you what, do, let's, let's nothing can do that now. Your daughter's come along. <laughs> That's fair enough. Let's uh, all right. Let's let's have a, a crack at this one because there was some wins over the weekend, and uh, we're going to talk about Cardiff in a minute. But let's talk about Scarlets first. And this question from Rob Thomas: Thoughts on the start made by Scarlets? Most players involved in Rugby World Cup and still uh, have had the best start out of all the regions. Bradmore looks to be a shrewd appointment. What are your thoughts, Dan, on the season so far? It's a great start, isn't it? Yeah, Bradmore has done a done a top job so far and they're gonna they'll only get stronger won't they it looks looks to be a happy happy camp right now i mean enjoying listening to him uh him talk after the games he's got a smile on his face isn't he seems mm. ultra 
ultra sort of, you know, ultra cool and just, yeah, it just seems to be sort of fairly relaxed and enjoying and enjoying himself. And that's probably feeding through to the, to the side at the moment. And it was, yeah, big win, big win on the weekend. Uh, that was, that was, uh, that was needed, wasn't it? It was. I tell you what, <laughs> strange. They they played very well in in chunks, the Scarlets, I have to say. And I think the most encouraging thing from what I've seen of them this season is there seems to be a bit of that swagger of old. You know, the the exciting back play that when Scarlets are playing well can kind of can get people excited. And I think that's the that's the thing that people will be encouraged by. And in particular, you know the the likes of, of what McNichol has done at the start of the season and players like Asquith playing well and uh, what's his name? Uh, Hardy at, uh, at nine. I think they've, yeah. they've shown some really nice Good stuff. Fair. Steph Evans looked, you know, looked as though he was showing, you know, picked up man of the match, looked like he was showing some of the form of the, the Steph Evans of kind of two seasons ago. So great to, have, great, great to see as well, isn't it? After he's been not, not involved. I think it might have been a refocus for him. I think he's kind of gone, well, look, the best thing I can do is get back to club rugby, play well, score tries and try and force my way back into the squad and and good luck to him. And I I think, you know, obviously that that will benefit the Scarlets. What I would say, though, is they they tried their hardest to lose that game in a way. And they had two, I think at least two, if not three opportunities to, to kick for goal just to keep the keep extending the lead and they went to they went to touch each time and didn't get over the try line Treviso scored a a penalty to equalize with two minutes on the clock and luckily they they won a penalty at the scrum scarlets and uh, and a a great kick from Dan Jones to to win it for them but I tell you what you'd be raging if you'd lost that game because they had so much possession in the second half and just didn't didn't put it to bed so well, it's, pl- it's plenty to work on mm. with him, isn't there? And he's, you know, we've got to remember that, you know, Brad Moore's only, he hasn't been there very long at all, has he? So it's, I think it's quite encouraging, really, that they managed to, managed to get the win just at the, you know, just at the end there. And there's still, they can almost sort of have a smile on their faces knowing they got the win, but also there's, there's plenty to work on, so it's quite it's quite a nice place to be. Yeah, I know what you mean. They're, they're those things that you're able to look at on a week that you've won and say, right, well, if we can sort these things out, then we can be even better. But if it had cost you, it would have been very different. And I, I just kind of wonder who made those calls, really, whether it was whether it was Steph Hughes as captain, who, again, actually has been a player who's been started the season in great form and looks like a really improved player. And to go back to what we were saying in the first half, he's those kind of players that, that the regions need, come through the ranks and be really loyal club players and constantly work on their game and improve. Uh, but I wonder whether he made those calls as skipper. And again, hopefully he'll, um, if, if it was him, I don't, I don't know, maybe they're coming from the touchline, but whoever's made the calls, you know, I, I think it's just one of those where it'd be, it would have been good to see him kill that game off a bit earlier, but nonetheless, they got the win and it, it has been a good start. And you have to say initially, yeah, Brad Moore does seem like a shrewd appointment. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? He seems like he's reignited. Obviously, Stefan's as, as you mentioned, you know, he's got his head back on there and, and um, and Hughes, yeah, he's you know he's a good you know really really decent player. Now I wonder whether you know we're going to see more more and more of the Scarlets boys just really pushing you know pushing the internationals now when they come back in or, or try and get back into the side. So he's he's going to be he's going to be delighted with that start and there's there's sort of pressure on uh, on places now, isn't there? Which is kind of what all of the the regions want but uh, not all of them have got yeah it's, it's an interesting one and yeah I think a player a player I didn't mention there but I've mentioned a couple of times on on Twitter who's been really impressive and that's Josh McLeod I just think he seems to get better and better and he's doing such a good job for them in the back row not just his turnovers but massive hits huge amount of donkey work and looked you know looked an absolute class act another really quality I work like him a lot yeah, he, he, he rarely has a bad game, does he? No, he doesn't. Know, Whether he starts or comes off the bench, he tends to tends to do some some important you know some important things. So yeah, he's gonna he's gonna be a big player for the Scarlets this season. He is. Let's um 
let's revisit uh, Cardiff game as well. And I know obviously you've, you've kind of you've caught that one because you're a closet Cardiff Blues fan. And yeah, it's, it's funny, Dan, isn't it? You, you say that you know the, the games you were able to watch this weekend. It's always a Cardiff one you managed to watch. Why is that? Just the the, the timings is it? fairly well for me on that one. Yeah. Mm, okay. Um, well, let's. Yeah, I, you, I feel like I've been doing a lot of the legwork today, Dan. Let's get your assessment of that game. It was obviously the 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 red card. It was. I don't know whether you've seen the challenge there, but it was. Uh, yeah, an absolute crazy. It was. It was horrible, really. Actually, it was. Yeah, it was. You know, he didn't. Um, we're lucky that Tubby wasn't wasn't seriously injured by that, but it was. It was. It was not good. But that yeah, red card obviously came and and that. That must have must have uh, must have made an impact really, in a, you know, in this sort of end result of the game. But I thought that it was quite entertaining. There was some good some good passing on display. There was there was still quite quite a lot of errors though throughout the game. It wasn't. I, I didn't think it was a great great game. And. It was, it was, I'd say it was probably the most entertaining game I watched this weekend though in terms of you know entertaining rugby I I thought you couldn't fault it for that it, it was but it was loose wasn't it it was it was entertaining because it was fairly loose but I don't think the rugby on display was of a of a of a very high quality then if we compare it to you know the games the games over the bridge then but it did make for for, for a watchable game yeah that's for sure um, and yeah, some 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 decent performances from from a number of the the Cardiff Blues players. You know, Jared Evans picking out picking up man of the match, wasn't it? At uh, starting at starting at twelve and then coming back into his usual position at ten. I find it quite strange actually that some of the some of those selections. Jared, I, I know he can you know he can play twelve, and that some players. I guess seem to think that that's his his best position. You know, I've heard, sorry, I've heard a few players say that he, he could have a big a big kind of future there. Harry Millard played on the wing and, and did a good job there too. I thought Harry Millard played played well. He's a, he's a lovely player, isn't he? <laughs> and anything more to add to that, Dan? I should stop the podcast now. I thought Harry Millard played well. <laughs> I he went through. Went through a number of gaps, like really well-timed runs, and and still managed to get the pass out through when there wasn't a great deal of room. Just, I don't know, looks had had some some classy touches really. Mm. Considering he's playing out of position as well, not an easy, not easy for a centre to slot in on the wing, and I thought he did it really well. He's a good, really good prospect, isn't he? Yeah, he is. I, you know, I thought he, I thought he did a brilliant job. As, as we said a couple of times last season, he's, he looks like a really bright prospect, and it's good for them to have some options in the centre. I mean, I know, I know, obviously he played on the wing, but when all of those internationals are back and they've got Adams and Amos into the mix too, I, I, I just kind of feel a bit sorry for players like Summerhill who seem to come in, do a really good job, score tries every time he plays, and he does score every game. He plays yeah. in pretty much. Yeah, and so I, I don't know. I kind of just feel like if they were able to make those investments, we, we said this before, but if they were able to make those investments in the tight five, then I think they could be a really interesting outfit because the backs can play. And, and Jared Evans is is such an exciting player. He plays rugby exactly how I want it to be played. You know, Nipper's playing really well at 15. And then you've got those. Other a good start the season, isn't and you know, you know, you know how much of a, a fan of Josh Adams I am, and and Hallam Amos. I've been a big admirer for a long time, but you just wonder how much those players were needed over bastards in the second row, and uh, you know, really gnarly, tight head, tight head prop. I know those players come at a cost too, but poor signings. Then, really, you say, really, be being nice about it. Well, potentially, yeah. I, not in terms of the quality of the players. They're going to strengthen that squad. But I just think if you were to look at what at what they needed, and when you had a lot of money... Where you spend that money. Yeah, a lot of money in Anscombe getting freed up with him going to the Ospreys. Where do you spend that money? Because you've got a brilliant 10, huge prospect, Jared Evans. And 
uh, you know, obviously they got Tubby in there to do a job. Have I missed someone as well? Uh, I suppose Fish Fish could, can play a bit there. Um, but you've kind of got a ready-made replacement for Anscom in, in Jared Evans. So why not have a look at, at some other um, at some other options there? And uh, not, not at 10. I mean, look at other places to spend the money. So I'd be wary of calling them poor signings, but it wouldn't have been where I was recruiting. It just feels like the recruitment was done too late and they've ended up with, they've ended up with some real class in the backs and a load of internationals who no doubt command a big paycheck. But in the, in the tight five, they're relying on players who are good players, but they're not able to bolster it with that, that, you know, real top quality impact that's going to make them competitive, whoever they're playing against. Yeah. I mean, it probably means that they're going to need Owen Lane is, is he going to come into the centre? Because, there's I think a lot of there's is. a lot of players now, isn't it, that can play on the wing and, and and fullback. There is, but then you know, actually, you look at the centre, and they've still got Halaholo and Lilo. They've got Millard into the mix too. Like you say, you've got Lane who can play in there. They've still got um, what's his name? Smith. Garen Smith. Garen Smith. So they've got yeah, they've got some good options there. Plus whatever's coming through the whatever's coming through the academy. So. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe you'll see Owen Lane there. It just it just feels like they've got abundance of riches in the in the backs, but they're not uh, not that same depth in the forwards, particularly the tight five. Yeah, that's where it's gonna. That's where Cardiff Blues are gonna feel it this year again, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. So I mean, it's yeah, it's tricky, but it, again, it does feel like a question of, uh, of recruitment. Let's have a quick word on the Dragons before we talk about anything else. Again, not a game that will live long in the memory there on Friday night, but it will do for you. Sorry, it will do for you though. With uh, oh yeah, again, uh, maybe, I don't know. Maybe I'm just uh, you know I'm uh, that that much more easily pleased because I was just having a little coach with my daughter, but it was. Yeah, it, there was at least a bit of character there from the Dragons. And I think that is something that Dean Ryan's bringing is in the past, those games would have slipped and it would have been 40 points or 35 points. And they kept themselves in the game and could have got away with a losing bonus point there. There is a hell of a lot of work to be done. And if we're talking about sides who need reinforcement in the tight five, again, you know, look no further than the Dragons. And that's been the case for a decade now. So, you know, I'm. I'm not saying that everything's fixed, but there are encouraging signs that they are turning themselves into a a tighter unit. Because the reason why it's important, I know you could look at the Dragons and say, well, look, if you're going to fold any side, they should be the one. But there are some really quality youngsters who come through that Gwent region. And we've seen what Wainwright's been able to do. Although I know it, it, he didn't necessarily come through the traditional route, but he was still playing rugby in Gwent. Tane Basham is, is, has got a hugely bright future ahead of him. We saw it maybe in glimpses on Friday night, but he's he's a Wales international without a shadow of a doubt. And then, you know, we've seen what Elliot Dee's done and, you know, Leon Brown's still a big prospect. So it is important that we can keep the Dragons going and, and bring through these, these young, talented players. But... Again, they, they, we're just going to have to have to get this, the squad in in better shape. But it's encouraging that Ryan has got them into a place where we're not getting pummeled on a on a regular yeah. basis. Uh, yeah, Dragons are a, are a harder side to beat now, aren't they? And I think from from the outside, they look to me as if they're uh, there's a, there's a good bit of structure there. They know they know how they want to play, and I think. You know, for me, improvements have been made. Yeah, I think I think so. And you know, it, it's baby steps at the moment. But if you can turn those, but games, it has to be, doesn't it? We have to be does. sensible about it as well, don't we? Yeah. yeah. And you know, he, Ryan's not had any time to bring in his own players. Uh, you know, not really had any time to bring in his own coaches. I know he's brought in some players on a, uh, some coaching on a on kind of a short term basis too. But if you can make yourself competitive in those games, turn those games into losing bonus points keep improving at home and get you know get some get some wins on the go then I think that that is a really really important thing and you can just start to build then and at least the players particularly the young players can look at this look around the squad and say right we're moving in the right direction you know those big hammer it 40 point hammerings 
just make you think actually is this going to be any different to it was before so it does have to be baby steps but you've got to you've got to back it up and and keep getting results yeah i think ryan what he's done very cleverly as well is is um you know working closely with with sam davis and just mentioning how he sort of he sort of quietly but quite reassuringly bigged him up isn't he at, mm. at, at sort of in a, in a good number of uh, you know a good number of times throughout the season even though we're only you know the season's only in its infancy and that is bound to to be lifting Sam Davis's confidence from the very off and and it's paid off because he's had a great start to the season and it's those sorts of sort of cute you know cute management moves that you think okay he uh, he knows what he's doing there he does and I think it's very important having a player like Sam Davis come in and you know you've got to rebuild his confidence because I think his confidence was kind of shot by the end of the Ospreys and having a 10 who can you know like we said they've not been able to invest in front five forwards so it's a side that's going to be pretty reliant on on scavenging you know and uh, getting some turnover ball and then doing some stuff off the back foot and having a, a 10 who's able to do that with a good kicking game, I think he's very, very important. And, you know, it's not right off Sam Davis at this point in his career. We said this at the the end of his Ospreys tenure. He's a, a player who's a, a former junior rugby world player of the year. He's, he's you know, he's got, he's got a lot about him. And I think if you can rebuild that confidence, he'll mature as a 10. So it's been really encouraging to see him have a good start. And, yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? You know, if you'd have kind of said going back into, I don't know what, like 2011, 2012, that, Sam Davis and, and Rodri Williams would be the would be the halfbacks for the Dragons in six or seven years' time. You'd, as a Dragons fan, you'd have probably been really excited about that, but it's, it's come about in different circumstances. But I think if you can get that right, canny halfbacks can keep you in a game, even if you're struggling up front. Yeah, it has come. Yeah, it has come about sort of in a, a sort of strange sort of a strange sort of way. But I think now the Dragons, you know, Dragons fans are excited about that partnership as are. You know, a number of uh, number of World Rugby supporters now. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how that develops now moving forward. All right, let's finish on this one, Dan. Obviously, it's been a bit of a somber one, which I think is is kind of to be expected, with it being kind of a after the Lord Mayor's parade type thing after the World Cup. But at the same time, this one's quite an interesting one. This is coming from uh, again from Matt Armstrong on a more fun point. Could you pick an entire team's worth of? potential bolters slash players on the fringes who Gatlin was a bit cold to that could now feature in Pivac's first team selection, which is an interesting one. We probably haven't got time to pick a whole team, but let's concentrate on that last bit. Players who Gatlin was perhaps a bit cold to that you could see coming into Pivac's first team thinking. A bit cold to, or... Yeah, or just players that could, or, or just play and players that could just feature as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd st- I'll start. I'll okay. start with a couple. I think the right. the two Scarlets props who didn't make the World Cup, I can see starting against the Barbars, if I'm honest. I he knows he knows what they're they're capable of doing. Like we said, there's going to be a lot of players in that Wales World Cup squad who are going to be in need of a rest. Win Jones put in a massive shift during the World Cup. I could see kind of Rob Evans and uh, and Samson Lee kind of featuring during that during that game just because we know that they're of international standard, they bring experience, but it gives him a chance to give a rest to a couple of those other players, and I think that could be you know a, a, a nice way of integrating them back into the squad. Yeah, good, um, good, good start. I'll. Um, what about uh, so in the centre, Halaholo? <laughs> yeah, Halaholo and McNichol will be in will be in a, a Pivac squad very very soon, I would imagine. Yeah, there's quite a lot of talk about McNichol, isn't there? Yeah, there is. I yeah, I've watched him play a lot, and he's devastating in attack. He really is. You know, he's a, he is a superb player. Broken field running is absolutely superb. Is he an international fifteen? Not for me yet. I'm not saying he's not capable of doing it, but I think based on those the, those performances at, at 15, his positioning would still need a lot of work at international level. I'm I'm deliberately putting aside the kind of the, the residency stuff because I think we've covered that enough. Do you, do you or do you do you want to do you want to stick your opinion in on that? 
I don't know. It's a difficult one with him because we haven't seen him play internationally, have we? So no, obviously. I think yeah, he'll given space, he is he is dangerous, isn't he? Uh, and he doesn't tend to be a player that that needs like set piece moves to uh, to unlock defenses. Oh, he just needs yes, he, he just needs a bit of ball, doesn't he? In a in a little bit of space, and off he and off he and off he trots, and he's away and creating something. So it would be it would be exciting. There would be the obvious question marks defensively and positionally, wouldn't there? But I think maybe that 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 may that maybe lead, opens up the wing position. Certainly, I, I, a, I think he's a, a bench. You know, yeah, a, a bench position. I think at the moment would be very very exciting. Just as long as we didn't get an injury, you know, early on, because then we'd be we could be a little bit worried. But the bench is a is a. I'd, I'd be happy seeing him there. That's for sure. I could see him starting fifteen for the Barbars game. Again, you would expect that game to kind of play into his hands. It's a non-capped fixture now. I think that's a good opportunity to to have a good look at him at international level. I think really when when Liam's fit. And perhaps even when Halfpenny's fit too, is he going to be better than than either of those at, at, at fullback? Not necessarily. Could he sneak in to a Wales side on the wing? I think absolutely. I personally, I think that is his best position at international level. I think he's I think he's more than more than capable of doing that, and he'll still get enough ball there to to cause a problem. And we know what a devastating finisher he is. So for me, that's where he fit. But he's definitely going to be in Pivac's thoughts. Okay, so we're going wing, yeah? Well, I think so. Halaho is an interesting one in the centre. I can yeah. see that thing, yeah, definitely. Um, he's, you know, he's a classy player. I think what a lot of this comes down to is, is Pivak going to want to play a bit more of an expansive brand of rugby than than Gatlin was was used to playing? I, I think he definitely is, in my opinion. What about you? I, don't, I, I mean, that, that, is, that is style, isn't it? And, and But... It's different. It's, it's different. Different in international, isn't it? You don't have as much time with the players. No, which again, if I think, why you so, pick players that, why you pick players that kind of suit that system. You know, you you see it. Uh, I'm not saying we're necessarily going to turn into Scotland, but you see what Scotland have done. Townsend kind of employing that kind of Glasgow mentality and. You know, but it's harder, isn't it, when you don't have the players week in week out to to. I think to have that that looser, free, freer style. Do you think? I yeah, because it it probably needs more coach. It probably needs more coaching. Then it needs more understanding from from all of the the, the squad and the wider squad as well. Whereas if you've got a, a system that's fairly you know fairly narrow, there's a good bit of direct running in there, and then you. It's just it's it's just an easier an easier system to work with. So I don't I I wonder I wonder whether that's going to come into play with uh, with the way with the way in which Pivak's going to. I don't, I go don't for, think, I think so, actually. I think he's I think he's got there by playing expansive, exciting rugby that's built on turnovers and offloads and tries. I think he's going to I think he's going to apply the same blueprint. He's brought the same coaching team with him really. And I would expect that to be the case. I think Gatlin played the way he did for so long, not just because that's the way the way that he likes to do things, but because of the players he had at his disposal. You know, I think like we I think we might have said this a couple of weeks ago, players like Jamie Roberts are you know not footballing. He's not a footballing centre, but Gatlin looked at him when he was when he's playing on the wing and then fullback for Cardiff and said, "Could this could this guy be a, a top class at his best, world class inside centre at ball carrying and smashing over the game line?" Yes, he could. You know, could he? He looked yeah. at Dan Lydia and went, "Will this guy go through more work than than most international sixes? Yeah, definitely get him in there. Warburton, same really. And he built that side. I think if you look at it now, I think that he will look at a, assembling a a side that has more ball players in it. Up front and uh, and behind the scrum, but there were players as well, weren't there? Even in that time that that we had that were that were decent players. They were higher they were higher risk players. But Gatlin went, you know, he went for um, sort of tried and tested, like being being very very good at what they, you know, what they 
what they could do. I think I think Pivac will his style will definitely be more towards what we saw at the what we saw at the Scarlets, but I just wonder whether he'll tweak it. Which which players do you think slightly. in the Gatland era did he did he overlook? Which brings us back to that initial question, you know, who are more ball playing players, do you think? I'm trying to think who was around who was around at the time in the centre. So if so look at Jamie Roberts, who was there were calls for other other centres mm. to be involved, weren't there? Even then, I'm just trying to think of who. Yeah, uh, no, we really didn't have a huge amount of a huge amount of depth in the centre then, did we? I think we had no the time it was so Hook, Hook the Bishop, depth, I I the, Bishop and Hook. Yeah, uh, I guess there were different types. Yeah, Bishop. I mean, there were different types of players, weren't they? Uh, more, more sort of. I suppose ball playing as opposed to direct, which is I just I guess it's a different option then, weren't there? But yeah. we went for very very direct um, straight running. We we knew what what Jamie was going to do, and then so did so did all the team, and it was easy to get behind that, and it, it proved to be the right thing to do. But I yeah, I'm just I'm just throwing it out there really with Pivak. Will he change his style? I don't think he will. No, I, I don't. Will be. I, th- I, I think, think it. Yeah. I think Gatlin, and it'll be quite exciting to see, won't it? You know. Yeah, it will. I think Gatlin picked those players because he knew that they were able to deal mentally and physically with international rugby, and I think you know he looked at he looked at the centre and certainly kind of post 2011 and went right. Is Jamie Roberts? Uh, you know, is he a, a kind of? Am I better having Jamie Roberts as a route one centre, knowing that he's going to be able to do the job? Or shall I have James Hook in there as a ball-playing centre? And I, if I'm honest, I don't think Gatlin was ever sold on him as a, as a as a complete package. I think he thought he was gifted, but wasn't prepared to to kind of take the risk take the risk on him, particularly after the 2011 World Cup. I don't think he fa- I don't think he fancied him at, at kind of the at the highest level. Yeah, that's and you also wonder whether there was any, you know, whether. Anything else was at was at play there as well with uh, you know with Gatlin with the way in which you know personalities and things like that because mm. we never we never we never know do we but I think he's a pretty he's a pretty uh, pretty strong character isn't he Gatlin and I think if you if you get on the wrong if you get on the wrong side of him then he'll uh, he'll make you pay for it. He will, yeah. But to go to bring it back to Pivac, I, I think you're. I don't know. I'm not sure whether whether there's too many others who, perhaps, uh, Gatlin was cold cold to that. But I, I I do see him picking a side built around having kind of footballers in the squad, and I think that you must be quite excited then about this. I, I'm excited, to Morgan, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think we'll see Nipper and Ned, but I'm I'm excited to see a Wales side play with a bit more expansion, you know, I, I mean, that, you, you'll be hard pushed to find a bigger, a bigger Warren Gatland advocate than me. But after, you know, after 12 years, would it be great to watch us play some, some free flowing stuff? Definitely. Cause that's the kind of rugby I love to watch, but uh, yeah, you know, it's a big ask to be able to do that at international level, but I think he will go for it. You know, I think we'll start to see, you know, Thomas Williams, and Patchell or Anscombe be the kind of the halfback combination, potentially with Bigger coming on to shore things up. Uh, I think you'll see, yeah, you know, someone like a McNichol in the, in the in the back three to to add just that kind of bit of individual brilliance. Alongside people like Liam Williams will be in there, and I, you know, you'd be mad to drop someone like Adams right now. Centres, you know, probably keep it similar to how it is right now, I guess. And then, yeah, in the pack, will he make too many changes in there? I'm not too sure. But, yeah, I could see kind of halfbacks being an interesting an interesting selection and him going for a ball-playing a ball playing 10 rather than a, than a kicking 10. So you, so you would say, for you then, the majority of the changes will probably be in the backs then? Well, I reckon so. I mean, like I say, I can Maybe see... Maybe some front row changes. Yeah, I can see Evans and Lee coming back into the setup on a regular basis. And then... You know, back row is really interesting, but you know, Toby will come back into that whenever he's whenever he's fully fit and playing again, providing he can get to that level because he's he's world class when he when he does that. The back row could be interesting with Pivac, couldn't it? Because there's uh, in that back row, we do have a lot of uh, a lot of uh, of options there, don't we? And 
and different combinations. So you wonder whether there may be a few a few curveballs there with Pivac selection. Yeah, there could be. Uh, what do you think? Who, who do you think kind of is going to be his, if he was picking his Six Nations side tomorrow, who'd be in that back row for that opening game? Well, I mean, I don't, I, I can't see how he can, how he can really change from, you know, from the back row we've got at the moment, which would be, you know, you'd go with, you'd go with Toby, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Uh, Toby at eight, uh, You'd have uh, Navidi, you know Navidi at uh, at six, and Tipperick at you know, Tipperick at seven with with Wainwright on the on the bench. I mean I that's, bad, that's bad in itself, isn't it? Because straight away we're saying right, no room in twenty three Moriarty, who's you know yeah a- yeah I know, and, and then also it's it, it, you could say it's mad having Wainwright on the on the bench after the the campaign that he's had. I mean, it's, it's frightening really, isn't it? I could the, see, the strength and depth yeah. we've got there, but that, that's a really interesting one because I, you know, look, I, I think if Toby's fit and, and any back to anywhere near his best, he starts at eight because he is world-class. And also we know he's, you know, he's got, he's got more to his game than just ball carrying. So I could see, definitely see him starting at eight, six. I, I would be so harsh for Wainwright to lose his, lose his place because you just think he's getting better every, you know, every time he takes to the field. And then that makes seven a really interesting choice because surely you can't leave Navidi out if he, you know, when he's fit, given what he's, given what he's achieved in a Wales shirt. But then you're leaving out Tipperick who, like we've yeah. said, if he likes the ball playing, you know, a ball playing option yeah. at seven, that, then that's exactly what Tipperick is. So yeah, some fascinating options in there. Yeah. So that's, for me, that back row is going to be a re- really interesting one to watch with, with Pivak and the the new setup, and I agree with you that the backs as well. I think in the outside backs, there there's probably going to be uh, a few changes, and uh, we may see someone in the centre coming in as well, just to give us something different, uh, which may have happened anyway if Gatlin was to you know was to stay on. So there are. I'm getting a little bit more excited now <laughs> as, as we're coming as we're coming to the close. Yeah, there are things to be excited about. There are. Um, um, do you know what, mate? We haven't even discussed the uh, the salary antics of Saracens, which I was keen to do. So yeah, maybe maybe we'll have a chat about that next uh, next week. Uh, but uh, yeah, because obviously that's been a massive story, uh, a massive story within the world of rugby. Yeah albeit beyond the bridge but you know it, it kind of dovetails with with what we with what we were saying right at the top of the show but yeah let's not let's not bring it down as we, as we come to a conclusion <laughs> let's uh yeah let, let's carry on looking forward and hopefully we've got lots more exciting rugby and, and hopefully you know uh as the regions go on we'll, we'll see more signs of encouragement and uh you know it's not it's not always doom and gloom so yeah make sure you stick with us at the attacking scrum let us know your opinions do that on twitter on facebook on instagram and all that remains to say is big thank you to our sponsors at so coffee trades and we will be back to chat rugby with you very very soon thanks for listening sports social podcast network